Sure. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And the, the scripture passage at the top of Footsteps of Jesus, the hymn we just sang, 1 Peter 2.21 says... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we see here in this passage in 1 Peter, Jesus put on display as a suffering servant who has shown us the way that we should follow. He says here, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Does that sound like a, a nice journey to walk on? Thanks, Jesus. You showed me the way to go, and that way does not look like any fun at all. <laughs> it looks hard. It looks painful. It looks like it's going to be tread with disappointment, with much scorning and mocking. But, first, but Peter, I mean, Peter was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. He saw everything that went on. He literally walked in the dust that Jesus was stirring with his own feet. And he's saying, Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should walk in his footsteps. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. It seems like that, that's a common theme from some of the things we've been looking at lately. But like I mentioned before, I'm simply walking you through scriptures. I'm simply walking you through the teachings of Jesus. I'm not on some, some high horse about suffering and Having, you know, we have to take the road less traveled, and that road is very painful and, and hard. I'm not just on some agenda here. I'm walking us through scriptures. So, if it seems to be the trend in scriptures, then perhaps we need to take this to heart. That the life that Jesus has called us to is not supposed to be comfortable. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to be starting in verse 24 here. I'm going to read a few verses here. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. 
You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lord, we long for the day when Christ confesses us before you. But Lord, show us the way. For as your scriptures make clear, that there are some who will be denied before the Father. And Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to observe all the things that are written here in the Scriptures, that we might know the truth, that we might allow the truth to set us free, that we might follow it, to see the path that's laid out for us and actually walk it, because we see it here in Your Word. Lord, I pray that we would not just talk about the authority of Scriptures, but actually place ourselves under the authority of Scriptures as a servant to a master or a student to a teacher. Lord, I pray we would not despise your good ways, for they seem hard for the moment, but that we might walk by faith in all the things that you have called us into. Not seeking our own wisdom, not seeking our own way, but taking, for example, the footsteps of Jesus who suffered and died on our behalf. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in a couple months, probably, we're going to do a study, not in the morning service, but when we pick up the afternoon services again, we're going to do a study through the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, The kids will have a class um, doing that during um, the morning service or the Sunday school. I can't remember which one that it was going to be in. But we adults will do it in the afternoon. Some uh, study going through the scripture-saturated book written by John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Progress. Within the book, Pilgrim's Progress, there is a time when this, the main character, his name is Christian. He is the, uh, the, uh, the icon of the believer and the, what the life of a believer looks like. There's a time in the story when he approaches a hill called Difficulty. And he's walking. At this point, there are two other men who have joined him in his travels. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. But these men basically jumped the fence to get into the path. They did not come through the narrow gate, uh, which was the way that they were to enter if they were to give passage into the celestial city, which is heaven. Now they jumped the gate. They were illegitimate sons. Um, they, were, they would not be allowed into the celestial gate if they had ever gotten there in the first place. But these illegitimate travelers joined Christian in his journey. They're walking the same path. They're on the same path that Christian is. Even though they are illegitimate, they do not belong there. They did not get there rightly. But yet they're walking the same path. They're going to the same place. They have the same journey up ahead of them that Christian had. But... Christian and these two men approach this hill called Difficulty. And this hill is filled with ravines and stones and steep inclines. And it would be exhausting. By the time he reached the top of the hill, he would be completely scratched up, exhausted, um, hurt, bruised, battered. Because this journey was hard. But it was the path. Now... Before approaching the hill called Difficulty, there were, a path, there were two paths going on either side of the mountain that appeared to go around the mountain. Now, the two illegitimate travelers that were going along with Christian 
They said, you know what? It doesn't matter if we go up this hill or around the hill. We're still going to end up in the same place. So we're going to choose to go around the hill on either side. So they take these short paths, these easy paths that looked pleasant, that were easy on the feet, that did not take them up a mountain. Christian, however, continued up the mountain because that was the way. He could not, he was told at the very beginning, do not turn off to the side to the sideways. They will end in destruction. But these two men, these two illegitimate travelers, they go to the sides because they're easier. Where Christian continues up the mountain. And as the book reads, these two men that went down the sides, they assumed that they just went around the mountain and joined up with the main path on the other side. But in reality, they led them into death. They end with they ended with their destruction. Christian never saw them again, and they never made it to the celestial city. Now, I fear that the Christian church in our modern day and age is filled with illegitimate sons and daughters who look like they're on the same path as the rest of the Christians. They're going to the same churches. They're singing the same music. They're reading the same books. They are believing the same confessions. But yet the the test comes when the path leads to the hill called difficulty as to whether one is illegitimate or legitimate. Whether one entered in by means of ease and therefore expected to simply stay on the path as long as it gave them ease and comforts, allowed them to live the life that they wanted to live, To not have to endure much suffering beyond what is average, I suppose. You know, it's it's true that everybody experiences suffering, whether you're following God or not following God. But as long as it doesn't produce suffering beyond average, we can stay on this path. But then we approach this hill called difficulty, where we see perhaps something in the scriptures that show us a path of obedience that we are to walk but then we bypass it saying, well, that's not really for me. That's, that's for the real serious Christians. We're allowed to not be serious, right? I mean, there are different levels of Christians, right? There are the serious ones, and then there are the ones that are kind of just getting to heaven on the coattails of everybody else. <laughs> but in the scriptures, it doesn't talk about different types of Christians like that. It doesn't give us a ticket to simply ride the celestial railroad, bypassing all of the other... Um, all the trials and all the tribulations, it doesn't give us a ticket like that. It gives us a path that we are to walk, and we must walk this path if we are going to make it into the celestial city. Do not get me wrong, because I do not want to come across as preaching that you are saved by your works. What I am am trying to introduce to you here is something that has unfortunately been forgotten by the evangelical church at large. All we want to hear about is grace and forgiveness and that God chooses us in our sin. He loves us in our sin, which all these things are true. Okay, I'm not against those things. And we should have times where we are just loving the grace of God and the the meritless forgiveness of God and His unconditional love. We should have times where we simply cry and weep over the mercies of God and enjoy them. But then we also see in the scriptures that those 
who God calls sons, He has given them a road to walk. And that those who are legitimate sons will walk that path. Those who are illegitimate sons will take all the detours that look easier. Because they came into it because it was easy. The journey is supposed to be easy and they will stay on it as long as it's easy. Those are the illegitimate sons and daughters who may be confessing the same things as all the rest of us. But when it comes down to it, there's only the extent of their faith only goes so far. It doesn't actually reach salvation. It's not really faith at all. Because we see in the book of James that faith without works is dead. It was never alive to begin with. And here in Matthew chapter 10, we are looking at an equipping and training session between Jesus and His disciples. Okay, Today, in this passage, they will be sent out for the sake of their learning. This is equipping and training. This is practice. Okay, Today, they will be sent out for the sake of their learning, but shortly, they are going to be sent out for the sake of the salvation of the world. And that's when things are going to get bumpy. <laughs> that's when they're going to get bruised and battered, when they're going out for the salvation of the world in the name of Jesus. But right now, they're being sent out for the sake of training and equipping. And let me ask you, where are you at? Consider within yourselves, where are you at? Are you still one who is in need of equipping and training in regards to the process of disciples making disciples, as these disciples were, who were literally fresh off the docks. Okay, Some of them were literally just called from the docks, not too long prior to this experience. Or are you one who is ready to be, or already are, active in participating in the spread of the gospel, having put your hand to the plow? If you find yourself in the former category, you're not alone. This is not a guilt trip that I'm trying to play on, put on you. You're not alone. For there, is, there are many who are still in need of much equipping and training like these disciples were. It is unfortunately a great failure of the church of Christ to train disciples in matters of gospel procreation. Churches just don't do it. There is no training and equipping anymore. But it is also a great failure of Christians who have a great treasure in earthen vessels, but do not sense any compulsion of compassion to share these riches, but rather presume upon the election of God or are simply content letting fear paralyze and neuter them. Can you imagine these 12 disciples having seen their Lord Jesus Christ crucified and then seeing Him rise? and even further, ascend up into heaven. Now these twelve disciples now find themselves thrust into a world of wolves who love darkness rather than light, into a world where there is no righteous, there's none righteous, not even one person, and nobody understands the Word of God or the human condition. Nobody wants the true God. Everyone is worthless and unable to do good, They are liars who curse and spew bitterness and hostility. They shed blood and destroy and bring their world to misery, making peace impossible and do not fear God in the least. These are straight from Romans chapter 3 that we read last time I was preaching. 
And these disciples opened the door of the house that they were in on the day of Pentecost and step out into a world that has made their murderous hatred of the Messiah plainly clear. The Messiah that they're now supposed to talk to them about believing in. And they immediately begin reproving, rebuking, and exhorting their world in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of Christ, charging them with repentance and a baptism of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Their only foundation being that they had been with Jesus. That's the only thing that they had going for them. They had been with Jesus. The rest of the city of Jerusalem, they had just crucified their Lord and Savior. And these alone remained, with some others who were perhaps still hiding out, these remained as sheep among wolves. And each day, you and I step out into the same world, howbeit a different century, where the playing field really is the same. The same wolves exist, the same godless people thrive, yet most of us lurk about in the shadows, lest we be seen and scorned. Look at verses 24 and 25 here in chapter 10. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant among, above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? I mean, just look at the first statement that he says in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And then the first statement in verse 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. We are not to try to be different from Christ. For if we were to be different from Christ, what is unholiness? <laughs> it is ungodliness. It is how we are not like God. But we try to get off trying to live a life that's not like Christ's. Unknowingly, we pursue a life of unrighteousness because we are trying to not be like Jesus. We are trying to not go through the things that Jesus went through. We are not seeking to be like Jesus in His sufferings. It's not that we go out and seek to, to make war. We, the message that we carry is actually a message of love and peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's a great message. It's not like we're going out trying to pick fights here. Jesus did not go around trying to pick fights. But the world loved their darkness rather than the light, so the fights came. The murder came. The martyrdom came. Because the world loves their darkness rather than light. It is clear in our culture that the Church of Christ is unwilling to compromise its relative ease in order to accomplish its commission, giving no thought to its exhortation that loving those who are easy to love is actually quite worthless and fruitless. The church gives little effort to reach a Romans 3 world. It would rather preach to the choir and hope to see the Spirit miraculously reach those that it will not go out and reach. We look for the steps that make evangelism easy, 
harmless, and palatable to the masses. When Jesus has clearly called his disciples into a life that looks a bit like his own. A life filled with slander and rejection. And we calculate it like this. If I am rejected, then it is just as though these people had never heard the gospel. Why should I endure harm fruitlessly? Or we say, if they reject the gospel, then the gospel has not moved an inch. And we can calculate it like that. I mean, it's a simple calculation. If you preach the gospel, they reject it. Then the gospel did not go forth. The gospel did not spread. Seems simple enough to me. But let's remember our brother Stephen. He was a faithful disciple in the early church who served as a deacon in the first Jerusalem assembly. He preached a gospel message that was absolutely flawless and filled. You can read it in Acts chapter 7 if you like. But there was not even a single convert from his expositorial work. <laughs> in fact, he did not simp- this was not a man who simply preached a sermon and that's the only thing that he ever did. In Acts chapter 6, we see that Stephen was a man who was full of faith and power. And he did great signs and wonders among the people. This was not just some Joe Schmo who was, you know, what do you call it? Um, you could just, whether he was there or not, it's no big difference. The wolves devoured Stephen because of his bold sermon, making him the first recorded martyr in the scriptures. And a logical, calculating person might see this as a waste. Stephen, why did you have to be so bold? Why couldn't you have just retreated to fight another day? I mean, you were already performing signs and wonders among Jerusalem. Perhaps you were seeing converts because of those things. You were edifying the church. You were building up the church. Why couldn't you have just kept your mouth shut for a minute and lived to fight another day? Make more converts tomorrow. What a waste, Stephen. It's like throwing all your money into a stock that is sure to leave you with nothing. Is that, a, is that something we are eager to do? Throw all of our money into a stock where we know the company is about to go bankrupt? But God's kingdom is not one that can be rightly calculated by man's wisdom. The kingdom of God is one where walls fall via the marching and the trumpet blasts. Nations are born from a barren womb. Enemies of hundreds of thousands are defeated by simply hundreds. Oceans are parted. Giants are defeated by children. Burning bushes and burning men do not actually burn. Hungry lions do not devour. Lepers are healed and the dead come back to life. That is the kingdom of our God. It is not a kingdom that we can calculate. So I simply want to declare to each of us today what Jesus the Messiah has declared here in this passage. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. It is enough. You don't have to be different from Jesus to make your life seem more logical. Jesus' ministry lasted for three years. Yet we build programs that are supposed to last for decades if they're going to see eternal fruitfulness. The martyrdom of Stephen 
actually is what sent the gospel to the surrounding nations. Because of the martyrdom of Stephen, the people were scattered and they took with them the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to all the surrounding towns, villages, and nations. Stephen did not do any of that. He just died. (laughs) Jesus himself said, unless a seed falls into a ground and dies, it bears nothing. But when it falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. He's using God's plan in nature, God's design in nature to show us that life does not work the way you and I think it works. God's kingdom throughout all of history has always been propelled by the death of his saints. From the very beginning, that doesn't make any sense, but that's how it's been. Even in extra biblical accounts for the last several centuries in our modern age, when there's persecution, strangely enough, the Christian church arises. In China, the Christian church is flourishing. In places like um, Korea, the Christians you meet there are few and far between, but they are strong in the faith. And all around the world, the faith of God in Jesus Christ is strong where the people are weak. That doesn't make any sense. We have to be strong. We have to be calculated. We have to be organized in order to be fruitful. But that's not how it works throughout the world. Yeah, things, some things are organized, sure. But our kingdom does not operate the way God's kingdom works. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. 1 John 2 verse 6 says... Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Why? Because it is enough for a disciple to be like his master. It is enough for us to find it sufficient to do what Jesus did. Nothing more, nothing less. It is sufficient, it is enough for us to be like Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for he will, he will either have the one, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. So many of us are serving our earthly treasures. Everything we do is about our earthly treasures and pleasures and comforts. Every decision we make, how is this going to affect my life? If it's going to be If it's not going to make a whole lot of sense, but it'll serve the kingdom of God, well, I don't know, I have to think this through. I've got to pray about it, and by the time you prayed about it 400 times, you've forgotten about the whole thing, and then it just fizzles out and dies. Because we're not willing to do anything that puts our neck out there for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because we are coming to church while serving mammon. We think we're serving God because we go to church and our neighbor doesn't. Okay, We compare ourselves to the people around us. I'm going to church. I'm not doing drugs. I don't drink the alcohol. We compare ourselves. And we look at all the things that we're not doing, that, and we pat ourselves on the back. All the while, every th- choice that we make is actually serving mammon. We even go to church because we think it makes us look better in our communities. Serving mammon. We go to church because we think that it'll offer something to my life. We're serving mammon. 
We are not devoted to God because if we're devoted to God, we see the authoritative word of God and we obey it. That's what devoted followers of God do. We look at what God says and we do it. By the grace of God, of course. We must not forget the grace of God in all of this. Apart from the grace of God, we are nothing and we can do nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? But without faith, but with faith, I should say, we will do the things that Jesus did. With faith, we will do the things that Jesus did. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we can see it because we're not doing the things that Jesus did. And even if we try to dabble in it here and there, we have no faith and cannot please God with them. Back to Matthew chapter 10. Move on to verse 26. Well, let's look, talk about the end of verse 25 real quick. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, or Beelzebub maybe your translation says, how much more will they malign those of his household? He's connecting this with the idea we've just been talking about, that it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? He's saying, if you're living like me, if you're doing the things that I've been doing, then you will be maligned. People will call you the prince of devils, in a sense. We could talk about Beelzebub for a while, but we don't have time for that. Suffice it to say, people will associate you with evil. They will call, they will malign you. They will, they will say that you are, a, that you are detestable. That there, there's nothing good coming out of your mouth. Nothing that's worth following. You are wrong. Your words are harmful. If they did this to Jesus, how much more will they do it to us? Because let's be honest, you and I are not Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He was the Messiah. He's the Son of God. You and I actually do sin. <laughs> you and I actually do make mistakes. So there will be sometimes, some, some, you know, we are the little ones. I mean, Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. He, was, he came to be nothing. We actually are nothing. Jesus had to put effort into becoming nothing. <laughs> but we are nothing from birth. And we are made something by the grace of God. But yet we still carry some of the fallenness of our humanity with us until we die and we're given glorified bodies and we're finally saved in completion. But how much more will you and I, actual human beings, be maligned, who have no authority in our own selves, be maligned if Jesus the Messiah was maligned? If we are actually sufficing ourselves to be like Jesus and not trying to get around the um, hill of difficulty. <laughs> We're not trying to move around the hill of difficulty. No. We're doing what Christ did, the difficult things, the things that result in maligning. But in verse 26, he gives us some hope. He starts giving us some hopes. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. But I, would I tell you in the dark, say in the light, that, you, that what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, do not fear. He actually says this, I think, three different times in this, in the, the, this extended passage. Do not fear. Have you ever been right about something? That you knew beyond a shadow of doubt that this is not just your opinion. This is a matter of fact. This knowledge is of great importance. But nobody 
is believing you or even listening to you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? These disciples have the actual Messiah. You and I have the actual truth. We know it's the truth. Beyond a shadow of doubt, we know this is the truth. We know the internal impl- eternal implications here. We know that our world needs this or it's going to die and go to hell. We know that our family members who are not saved, who do not know Jesus Christ, are going to die and go to hell if they do not have this. Have you ever had some... You, ha- you have that, okay? But people still reject it. People don't want to listen to it. People don't want to submit to it. But what he's saying here in verse 26, verse 20, do not fear them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It will be fully known to everybody that the message that you have been presenting is right. Everybody will now see it. And it's funny, this, you know, we read that in Philippians chapter 2, but it actually comes from Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 says, in verse 21, Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth, has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, all our righteousness and strength. To him, shall, to him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In this passage, he's saying, I am the Savior of the world. I am everything to everybody. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to me that I am the Lord. But some will come in shame. Some in joy, but some in shame. And Jesus is saying, don't fear them. Proclaim the gospel to them. Tell them what is true. Bring them to the Lord, for He is God alone. He is the one Savior of all the earth. You know this to be true. It has been declared for centuries and millennia. But some will reject now. They will tell you you're a liar. You're a foolish person for believing these tales. But one day, they will see the truth. Do not, do not fear them. Do not cease from speaking the truth because of their rejection. One day they will know. One day they will know. And we are not to fear. We are to fear. You and I should be focusing on our fear for ourselves because we see actually in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul and body in hell. He says down in verse 33, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. If we deny people the truth, then we are taking the easy road around the hill of... The hill of oh, it's leaving me at this moment. The hill of difficulty. 
if we cease from proclaiming the good news simply because of our fear of man, because we don't want to go up that hill of difficulty, then we are the illegitimate sons and daughters going around the hill of difficulty. That's the scriptures for us. Because if we deny, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do we take that seriously or do we think that Jesus is just being overly harsh for the sake of making a point? If we are ashamed of Christ on the earth, He will be ashamed of us in heaven. This is, I'm not trying to guilt you into something, okay? I'm just trying to tell you what the Scriptures say. Because I have to take this to heart too. I know the feeling of fear when you're confronted with somebody, a situation where you know you need to tell the gospel. I know what the fear feels like. I know what it feels like. So it's not like I'm coming to you wielding a sword that I myself have fashioned. Just trying to unite with you according to the Word of God. Because I know exactly what it's like. But we also see here, and what... what more encouragement does Christ give us in verse 29? He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, if you are of more value than many sparrows. If you are going out walking in the footsteps of Jesus, you do not need to fear chance, okay? It happened upon, you know, this tribulation came upon me by chance. It is a worthless tribulation because God is not really behind it. God is not really with me in all of this. If this is happening to me, it's because God has forgotten me. And He has left me. Jesus is telling you, God has not left you. Remember when Stephen was martyred? He looked up into the heavens and what did he see? (laughs) Our Lord of glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father, looking down upon Him. We would think, why would Jesus allow that to happen? If Jesus loved Stephen, why did not he was there watching? Why did he not send an angel to stop them from stoning him? If he loved Stephen, why didn't they keep this from happening? Why didn't he preserve Stephen? Because our Lord God knows that life is more than life. And there are many I mean, I cannot tell you the mind of God in that situation. But what I can tell you is that whatever happens to you, it is not God's fault. It is not because God has forgotten about you. It is not because God has left you. It is because you are actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus and the things that happen to Jesus are happening to you by design. And that's okay because the Lord is with you in all of it. Because one day you're going to stand before the Father and He says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. What is your reward? You receive the praise of Christ before the Lord of glory, the creator of all all things. Yeah, you experience some tribulation on the earth. Yeah, you have to climb that hill of difficulty and get battered and bruised and scraped and you lose some blood. You lose some sleep. You tire yourself out. You get worn out. But one day... The Son will stand by your side and present you to the Father in white robes and a crown of righteousness on your head. Because life is more than life. Life does not end at death. When Stephen received that last rock to the head and the lights went out in his body, he stood in the presence of the Lord. It did not end. It did not end. 
We see our life as just a beginning and an end, but our existence is not, it has no end. Okay? The body has an end. This physical body has an end, but we do not have an end. And we need to stop thinking in terms of loss and pain and end here on the earth. We need to start thinking in terms of eternal fruitfulness that endures beyond today and beyond the next century, beyond the next millennia. For a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, right? And a thousand years like a day, time means nothing to Him. When we walk in the footsteps of Jesus and we do the things that He's done, we will see tribulation. We will be maligned as Jesus was maligned, but that's okay. It's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be that way. It happened to the Messiah. It will happen to His disciples. It has always happened to His disciples, and it will continue to happen to His disciples. And if we, it is not happening to us, we need to wonder, am I His disciple? Or am I going around the mountain as an illegitimate son or daughter? And if that seems to be the case, perhaps we need to repent of the life that we've been seeking, the life where I just kind of deal with my own affairs and I leave the affairs of the gospel to somebody else. We need to repent of that, devote ourselves to God rather than mammon, and follow Jesus to look. And then we start diligently seeking the Scriptures to see what did Jesus do? I need to see what Jesus did so that I can follow Him. I need to learn what He taught so that I could obey Him. I need to learn His Gospel. I need to learn what the implications of His salvation so that I can go and tell other people this stuff. Because that's the disciple. The disciple is not above his teacher. No, what does the disciple do? A disciple learns from his teacher and a disciple does what his teacher says. And if you are a disciple, that's what you must do. You must learn from your teacher and do what your teacher told you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not somebody who just goes to church on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays maybe and kind of believes some of these things that you're told to believe by the pastor. That's not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who actually places themselves under the authority of Scripture, who has been saved and forgiven by the grace of God, by faith, and then goes and serves the Lord Jesus, who they have now submitted to. They seek Him out. They find Him in the Scriptures, and they go and they obey Him. That's what the Scriptures say about the Christian. The Scriptures, I mean, look at, all this, this, look at all this New Testament that talks about the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It could have been a lot shorter if it was as simple as, well, just pray this prayer, and then just go live as you want until you die, you'll be in heaven. You could really have consolidated a lot of that, <laughs> if that's what was true, right? But this New Testament is jam-packed, filled with Jesus' teachings that we need to follow and believe. We need to seek Him out so that we might see what is good and pleasing to our Lord. And I want to end by presenting a simplified gospel because without simple faith and a simple gospel, none of this matters. You can go and do all sorts of good works and good deeds in your own strength and it can be nothing. It can mean absolutely nothing. And I want to tell you that what this verse says, the gospels, you read through the gospels, Jesus came he came so that He could die for you. So that He could pay the penalty that you deserved. Because of your works. Because of, your, because of our sins. We deserved to be destroyed for our sins. We deserve punishment and damnation. But Jesus came to take our punishment. 
so that we might know the mercies of God, so that we might taste of the mercies of God and receive the forgiveness of God by His mercy because His justice was carried out in Jesus on the cross. And we are saved by grace through faith, not because you are just super devoted. You are saved because God is super devoted to His people. You are saved because God came down and saved you as Jesus. You are not saved because you went out and found Him because we already saw in Romans 3 that there is none that seeks after God on His own. God sought you out, gave you Jesus, forgave you, not by any goodness of your own doing, but because of His own goodness. And because He loved you, not because of your loveliness, because He is love. And He must love. Because He is love. Some of you know that how that feels. You love somebody, maybe because they're family, I don't know, friend, somebody that you know. You love them, even though they're a mess. They're a complete and absolute utter mess. They've never done anything for you. In fact, they've cost you more than anybody else, but you love them. Why? Because the love's here. The, love's not, the loveliness isn't there. The love's here. God loves you because He is love. And He must love. Because that's who He is. He doesn't love you because of your great faith. He loves you because He is love. And He has sent you a Jesus in whom you are to put your faith. And when you do that, when you put your faith in Jesus, and you kneel before Him as your Lord, you repent of your sin, He forgives you. If you will confess, He is faithful to forgive, the Bible says. If you will confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you. And we're going to have this communion table here in just a minute. And this communion table represents... Jesus' sacrifice, His body, which was given for us. He didn't have to take on a body, but He did it for you. And He gave it for you in death. And the, the juice representing the blood that He shed to wash away the sins of our soul. And if you have not, if you look back and you cannot think of a single time where you actually received the, the mercies of God, I compel you today, I urge you, as God appealing through me, through the Scriptures, be reconciled to God. Receive the forgiveness of your sins so that you might be saved in the name of Jesus. Repent of your sin. God will forgive you. He will. Again, think back. You cannot just ease into the kingdom. There must be a point where you confess your sins to God. There must be a point where you are converted. Have you ever been converted? Not simply baptized, because some, some guy told you to get baptized one day. But have you ever kneeled before the Lord of glory and repented and asked for the forgiveness of your sins and for the salvation of your soul? Have you ever done that? If you've not done that, I would ask you, do not let this day pass without doing that. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of the glory of Christ, seek the Lord in repentance by the Spirit, by His grace that He is giving to you. And if you have done that, if you can look at back at your life and you can see your conversion, you can see where God saved you and forgave you of your sins, 
Have you actually been walking in the footsteps of Jesus? If not, take this time to repent and devote yourselves to Jesus Christ to walk in the footsteps that He actually walked according to the Scriptures, according to this word of authority given straight from the breath of God. And I want to give a minute of silence for anybody who needs to kneel and pray in your soul, in your physical body, whatever you want to do. But we're going to take a minute here. We're going to give you a chance to think, to, to, to confess, to repent. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of the glory of Christ. Go ahead and take a minute.